uh, as the kids head out, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts 15. You know, as the kids leave, uh, it, it's, it's a good reminder to us that they are not leaving because they're a distraction, though that might be the case at times. <laughs> uh, kids can be distracting, but, but I hope as you see them go, you'll never think, oh, they're a distraction, I'm glad they're leaving. I hope your heart will say, I'm so glad they're hearing God's word in a way that they can understand, a way they can make sense of. We are thankful for our kids. We are thankful for the teachers that go back with them to teach them God's Word. And, and I try to say this consistently, but if you ever want your kids to stay in here with you, that is fantastic. That, that is great. You have that opportunity as a parent. If your kids stay in here with you and maybe they start to act a little loud or, and they need to go out, we have TVs out this door up top and down low. And so you're welcome to use that as parents as well. We just want to be very careful that we're never treating kids as a distraction or something to move to the side. We, we desire for them to be a part of worship. We want them to see baptism. We want them to see the preacher do foolish things uh, like uh, fill his waders up with water. And so we want them to be a part of that because it shows them God's grace. It shows them what it looks like for God's people to, to come together. And so I just want you to know where, where our heart is when it comes to to that type of type of ministry. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have another parent-child dedication. And so if you have a child two years or younger, or a niece or a nephew or a grandchild, and you just want to commit in front of the church that you're going to raise that child to know about the love of Christ, that, that service is going to happen in, in a couple of weeks on, on the 19th. And we would love to have you participate in that with us. All right, Acts chapter 15, as we continue to go through, through this book together, let me get in the, in the right place. We don't often do this on Sunday morning, but just because of the flow of the service, I think it would be good if we stood together to read God's Word. You've been sitting for just a little while, so this is a chance to stand up together, and it's also a chance to remember uh, the power and the reverence and the honor of, of reading God's Word together. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 15 verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then... Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? 
No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, that is Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with them. As is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does this, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. God, we thank you for this story. Father, may we see clearly this morning through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through the truth of your word, God, may we see clearly the good news of Jesus so that we will take that into our heart and so that we will be ready to live that out in the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Have you ever been a part of a divided group? Maybe it was a business that was breaking down the middle. Maybe it was your family on the way to church this morning. Maybe you've been a part of a church that felt divided. Have you ever been part of a group that was just divided on a very core issue? What that often does is it keeps that group from fulfilling its mission. Because if you're divided on the core essentials of a group or a business or a family or a church, if you're divided on that, there's no way that you have the energy or the focus or even the foundation to carry out the mission that you're supposed to have. There's a movie back from the year 2000. I know it's hard to believe it's been that long since this movie came out, but a movie called Remember the Titans. And in Remember the Titans, Coach Boone, who is played by Denzel Washington, has the job of bringing together a football team of black and white players to, to integrate this football team at T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia. And so he is going to bring this team together. And, and at the beginning of the season, even before the season starts, he takes them off to a camp. And so they go through all of these trials of trying to live together and practice together and work together as a team. And then in this very famous scene from the movie, he takes them on a run through the woods, doesn't tell them where they're going to go, and ultimately they end up at Gettysburg. And in the course of this incredible speech that Denzel Washington gives there that there's no way I would try to replicate uh, the, this morning, but one of the lines in that speech is, if we don't come together now, right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were, meaning the people that originally fought on that ground. If we don't come together right now, we will be destroyed just as they were. That line from that movie is exactly what sets over the top of Acts chapter 15 this morning. The church had come to a place in its history that there was a chance that they were going to go, to head, go ahead divided. A Jewish group over here and a Gentile group over here. And Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James are telling the church, if we don't come together right now, 
we are going to be destroyed. Acts chapter 15 sits at the middle of the book of Acts. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So we've literally just passed the halfway point. So it sits at the middle of the book, and literally, it's the hinge pinch of the book. This is everything that the book turns on, is whether or not they're able to figure out this problem right now. How will the Jews and the Gentiles be able to get along? How are they going to be able to go ahead as one church? Look back in verse 1, so we can kind of make sense of what's, what's going on here. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, we ran into Antioch a few chapters earlier in the book of Acts. Antioch is interesting because at Antioch was the first place that the believers in Jesus were called Christians. So no longer were you called a Jewish, Christ, a Jewish follower of Jesus or a Gentile follower of Jesus. At Antioch, they just called them Christians. No reference to Jew, no reference to Gentile. You know, imagine living in a world, and, and in fact, it's not very hard to imagine this, but imagine living in a world where that person over there is a black Christian, or they go to the black church, and that person over there is a white Christian, and, and they go to the white church. What are you doing? You're bringing in a secondary matter that is not tied to the reality of being a Christian, and you're making that one of the defining features. And so what had happened at Antioch is they realized it doesn't matter if I have a Jewish background or a Gentile background. All that matters, all that brings us together is Christ. And so we will be called Christians, not Jewish or Gentile, but Christians. Except that it's never that easy, is it? There's always people that want to defend their ground. There are always people that want to make it harder for other people to come to Christ. And so there was this group that came to Antioch, and they said, that's good that you believed in Jesus, but you also need to follow the Jewish laws. You need to be circumcised. I don't know how many little kids are left in the house, so we're not going to get into the reality of what that means, but let's just say if you require circumcision, that hurts your convert numbers. Um, you're, you're not going to have nearly as many people turning to the faith if you require them to follow these particular laws, these particular requirements. But these believers, these, these believers who came from a Jewish background, they couldn't imagine anybody being a part of God's people without following the laws of Moses. But Paul and Barnabas, they had seen people's lives changed without following these other laws. And they didn't want to require that, that the people, the Gentiles, do these things. And so look what happens in verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So they have this debate, and like any good Baptist group, they have a meeting. You can't figure it out, you have a meeting. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Now this is very strategic on their part. If you have a problem with someone, and, and this is a good life skill, if you have a problem with someone, don't ask them to meet you on your turf, go meet them on their turf. And, and so the problem was in Jerusalem. The problem was the people in Jerusalem who were requiring circumcision. And so Paul and Barnabas said, we'll go to them. We'll meet them on their own turf, and, and we'll talk about this and see what needs to be done. Verse 3, the church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria in verse 3, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news 
made all the believers very glad. So you have a church situation where most of the church is ecstatic about how the Gentiles are turning to faith in Christ. And doesn't this, isn't this the way that it normally works? It's a very small group of people who cause all the big problems for everybody else. Almost everybody in the church at this point is excited that the Gentiles are turning to faith in Christ. And they're not worried if they're being circumcised. They're not worried if they're following these laws. But you have that one group. Every church has it. Every business has it. Every family has it. The one group that's going to try to cause trouble for the whole group at the same time. And so in verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, we're we're repeating verse 5 here, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And then you have this debate that goes on, and then look down in verse 11. Verse 11 is kind of the, the conclusion that happens there. They ultimately say no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. What you have happening here is a situation where the church has to answer this core question of what does it take to be saved? What does it take to be made right with God, to have your sins forgiven? And part of us would say, well, that's good for Acts 15, but what in the world does that have to do with 2014? Nobody's required to be circumcised. You know, thank the Lord. It's not an adult requirement. Nobody's required to follow these certain food laws. You can eat your bacon and have a good conscience about it. Thank the Lord again uh, for that. But, But we don't put these requirements on people, but they were dealing with this question of what does it really mean to be a Christian? And here's what I want us to grapple with for just a minute. In 2014, as a church, we still run the risk that we will lay on people other requirements other than faith in Christ in order to be saved. Here's what I mean. When the missionaries first went out from the British colonies to different places in the world to spread the gospel of Jesus, you know what they spread along with the gospel of Jesus? They spread British colonialism. And so all of these churches in Africa and all these churches in Asia and all these churches in South America, they started to require the people to dress like the British. And they wanted their churches to look like the churches did back in Europe. And they wanted them to talk and sing just like the people did back in Europe. And so they were laying on the people a type of requirement that says, you not only need to believe in our God, but you need to look like us and act like us too. And you know churches do that as well? We, we invite people in and we say, we want you to believe in our God because we believe Jesus makes possible salvation. And hey, by the way, you need to change the way you dress. You need to change the way you act. You need to change the way that you do all these other things. And does change need to happen? Yes, it does. But there's a difference between becoming holy and becoming churchy. Sometimes we get that confused. We want people to be churchy whether or not they're really holy. And God says, no, the issue is you will believe in Jesus and I will transform your life from the inside out. It won't be the church people that say you need to follow all these requirements that we lay out there. Sometimes people will say, I can't come to church because I just don't have the Bible knowledge. 
those people there know more than me. I, I could never turn to Jesus because I, I just don't know enough. Did you see baptism happen today? Did you see the Lord's Supper happen today? Did you know that Jesus gave his life so that your sins would be forgiven? So that if you put your faith in him, you will have new life. That's what we want you to know. You don't have to have Bible knowledge. You don't have to have a church background. Sometimes couples will say, well, my spouse, they're the more spiritual one. You know, I'm just not really a spiritual person. I come to church just because I want to make my spouse happy, but, but I'm just not really the spiritual one. Being a spiritual personality is not a requirement for being saved. What's required to be saved is to realize I'm a sinner. And because of my sins, I'm separated from God. And I'm able to be made right with God through Jesus Christ. It's not whether or not you feel spiritual. It's not whether or not you grew up in a church or you grew up in a religious home. The issue is, have you given your life fully to Christ? And here's the one that always gets us. It gets Christians, it gets non-Christians. People will say, I just can't come to church. I just can't be a part of that because I just don't have my life together right now. If I can just get my junk together, if I can just get my life together, then I'll come and be a part of that church. Where else do we want people to turn when they're trying to get their life together? If your life is broken, the whole reason it's broken is you can't fix it on your own. And you need to cry out and call out to the only one who's able to bring that healing. When Amanda and I were serving in, in Oklahoma, uh, the, the infamous church where the moth uh, bombed into the, uh, the grape juice during the Lord's Supper. When we were serving in that church, we had a college student who was a part of our praise team. Wonderful girl, loved the scene on the praise team, but she disappeared for a few weeks. Didn't see her, finally caught up with her, and we said, hey, where have you been? And she said, I just got some issues going on right now, and I just don't feel like I can be in church right now. What kind of church world have we created where someone has issues and because of those issues they don't come to the one place where they can find ultimate healing what we want to say is we're not going to lay requirements on someone and say you have to dress a certain way you have to have a certain family structure your skin has to look a certain way you have to have all these things in place and then you can come and be saved what we want to say is Jesus is taking care of all of that and let this be a place where people who are broken, people who have issues, guess what? We all have issues. Where people who have issues can come and find hope and healing and salvation. There are two words that kind of sum up this, this reality, and they're on your notes on the back of the, of the bulletin, but there, there are two words that kind of sum up Acts chapter 15. The first is freedom. If we really understand what's being said in Acts 15, we realize that we have freedom through Christ. We have freedom from sin. We have freedom from all of the expectations that people put on us. We have freedom from all of the burdens that other people lay on us because Jesus has taken all of that. Some of you may remember the time that you turned from yourself and you trusted in Christ for salvation. If you remember that, maybe as a teenager or as an adult, one of the feelings that people describe is that this incredible weight was lifted off their shoulders. This incredible burden was lifted off of their heart because they had freedom. They didn't have to meet anyone else's expectations. 
They didn't have to go to a religious place and follow all of these rituals in order to be made right with God. They had freedom because of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you feel burdened down, you say, I'm just not good enough to be a Christian, can I just tell you that's the whole point? That we are not good enough to be made right with God on our own, but through Christ we have freedom. You don't have to carry around those burdens. You don't have to carry around those expectations. When you speak to people about Christ, speak about freedom. Speak about hope. Speak about that weight being lifted off, that sin no longer weighing you down. And the result of that freedom is unity. And here's where it really hits home for us. Because if we have all been set free based on Christ, then guess what the basis of our unity is? Christ. So we're not unified because we're a certain skin color. We're not unified because we're a certain type of religious background. We're not unified because we have a certain amount of money. We're together in this for one reason and one reason only. Because of Christ. And so we have freedom and we have unity. But look down at verse 19. There's something strange that happens here in, in verse 19. Peter says, it's my, actually this is, this is John speaking, I'm sorry. Says, it is my judgment, therefore, I said John, I'm going to get it right, it's James. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Good. So they can eat bacon, they don't have to be circumcised, they just trust in Jesus. Verse 20. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, if you're reading along there, you should be saying, Owen, you just said it's only Jesus. It's Jesus who brings salvation. It's Jesus who unifies us. And now... They're saying in verse 20, they're going to lay on them these other regulations. What's going on here? Here's what's happening. And it really boils down to one, one thing. How do you eat together with people who are different from you? How were the Jews and the Gentiles were going to be able to share a table if the Jewish people had these certain regulations about how the dinner was supposed to be set up? You didn't bring in bacon. You didn't bring in these things. You didn't come in with your defiled hands. How are you supposed to do these things? How are you supposed to be unified as a church? And so they tell the Gentiles, you are saved purely on the basis of faith in Christ. But when you go to your Jewish friend's house to eat, try not to act like a Gentile. Try to act in such a way that that person is not offended. So if you go to visit your friend who maybe is an Alabama fan, it's not nice to wear your, wear your LSU shirt. Because you don't want to unnecessarily offend them. Because how are you going to sit down and eat when you're divided like that? How is that going to happen? Well, you take that reality and you multiply it a thousand times over. And that was like a Jew and a Gentile trying to eat together. And so they remind them, you've been set free. And this is Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the verse should be there on your notes. Let me find it. Galatians 5.13. You were called to freedom brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. So you become a Christian, and you realize that your standing with God is not based on what you do, 
It's based on what Jesus has done for you. One of the replies to that is good. Now I can do whatever I want to. Except that's a complete misunderstanding of freedom in Christ. We are set free in Christ in order to serve others, not to indulge ourselves. When I was finishing up my PhD work, my, my doctoral work at the seminary, and I was working on my dissertation, I had to get some work done. And so Amanda did one of her normal heroic things, and she piled the three kids in the van, and they took a road trip to Oklahoma so that I would have a week and a half on my own to, to get this dissertation finished. And you know what I did while, while she was gone? I played a lot of golf. I, I slept in. I invited friends over for, for some, some evening parties. No, I didn't do that because if I did that, I would be missing body parts as I, as I stand up here. Because if she would have found out about that, it would have been not a pretty sight. She gave me freedom, freedom to do what I needed to do. If I would have taken that freedom and said, good, they're gone, I'm going to do whatever I want, what a lousy report response to that freedom. I mean, you're angry at me just thinking about the story. But we've been given freedom in Christ. We have been set free from sin. And if we take that freedom and say, good, now I can do whatever I want to, we've completely insulted the one who bought that freedom, who provided that freedom for us. And so when we misuse the gospel, it's going to kill the mission. We are set free in order that we can serve one another and we can proclaim that freedom to the world around us. We live in a world where people have a lot of expectations on them. People are a part of religious groups where they have to do A, B, and C to be right with God. People live lives where they have trouble going to sleep at night because they have so much junk weighing their life down. And the message that we have to proclaim is you are free in Christ. Turn from yourselves, trust in him, and he will be, bring freedom into your life. And through that freedom, you will be unified as a church in order to then be able to live for Christ every day of your life. And so the question for us this morning is, are we ready to come together around that freedom? Or are we going to be divided by all of these secondary matters? We have people in our church who've been in church a sum total of probably five times. And we have people in our church who have probably missed church five times in 80 years. We have people in our church who come from Catholic backgrounds, Presbyterian backgrounds, Episcopalian backgrounds, Baptist backgrounds, no church background. We have different economic levels. We have different skin colors. We have different nationalities. We have all of these things represented in our life that could divide us, but instead we are brought together because of Jesus. And so we will say our mission is to proclaim and display Jesus because he is at the very core of who we are. If you're here this morning and you have never experienced that freedom that comes through Christ, if maybe you came to church this morning because you think you have to do this to be made right with God, can I just set you free from that? And let you know that the one who gave his body and gave his blood, he is the one who has purchased your freedom. And you have been set free so that you will come together with God's people and live on mission for the glory of God. Let's pray together.